sermon number 574, The Jonah Complex, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, June 13, 1971. The text, the book of Jonah. Hear the word of God from a very well-known book, Jonah, the first chapter beginning at the first verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city, that great city of Nineveh. Go now and denounce it, for its wickedness stares me in the face. But Jonah set out for Tarshish. To escape from the Lord, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. He paid his fare and went on board, meaning to travel by it to Tarshish, out of the reach of the Lord. But the Lord let loose a hurricane, and the sea ran so high in the storm that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God for help. Then they threw things overboard to lighten the ship. Jonah had gone down into a corner of the ship and was lying sound asleep when the captain came upon him. What? Sound asleep? He said, Get up and call on your God. Perhaps he will spare us a thought and we shall not perish. At last the sailors said to each other, Come and let us cast lots to find out who is to blame for this bad luck. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now then they said to him, What is your business? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what nation are you? I am a Hebrew, he answered, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made both sea and land. At this the sailors were even more afraid. What can you have done wrong, they asked. They already knew that he was trying to escape from the Lord, for he had told them so. What shall we do with you, they asked, to make the sea go down? For the storm grew worse and worse. Take me and throw me overboard, Jonah said, and the sea will go down. I know it is my fault that this great storm has struck you. Well, the crew rowed harder to put back to land, but in vain, for the sea ran higher and higher. At last they called on the Lord and said, O Lord, do not let us perish at the price of this man's life. Do not charge us with the death of an innocent man. All this, Lord, is thy set purpose. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the sea stopped raging. So the crew were filled with the fear of the Lord and offered sacrifice and made vows to him. But the Lord ordained that a great fish should swallow Jonah, and for three days and for three nights he remained in its belly. The first chapter of Jonah. And perhaps there is no other story that is as familiar to people in the church than the story of Jonah. And likewise, there is no story that is perhaps as least understood 
as the story of Jonah. The book of Jonah is filled with all sorts of spiritual insights. But because so many of us have trouble swallowing that incident of the fish, we, we seem to lose the total meaning of this which comprises about one-fifteenth of the total book. This book is very unique and very helpful to mankind. But its uniqueness does not rest in the fact that God did or could, if he would want, to create a fish that had a big enough jaw and a big enough belly that could swallow a man whole. That, that's not its message, nor that is that its uniqueness. But the power of this book comes when you find the message of what happens to an individual, any individual, no matter what day and age in which he lives, but an individual who, who loves God, who knows the word of the Lord, who is very patriotic concerning his own nation, but yet finds it very hard to swallow the leading and the command of the Almighty. That's where the power of the book is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now notice it does not say how it came. Maybe it came one day when Jonah was sitting down going through the scriptures. Maybe it came to him through that still, strong, silent voice of conscience. Maybe it came one day when he was reading a newspaper. That is, if the newspapers in Jerusalem were not on strike that day. Maybe it came to him when he tried to interpret the signs of the times. <laughs> it might even have come to him when he was in church listening to a preacher. But somehow or another, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it came very explicitly. There was no question, notice, no question in the mind whatsoever of Jonah as to what the word of the Lord was. No confusion. Its message rang true, clear, and very loud. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. It was not because he had too busy of a schedule. It was not because he lacked courage. No, no. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he thought that the Lord was, a mis was mistaken in wanting to save those 120,000 Ninevites. Lord, why do you want to save them? Lord, why do you want me to get involved in that kind of a situation? What's the matter, Lord? How can you be so wrong? No, Jonah knew the word of the Lord. That wasn't his problem. His problem was not ignorance. It was in lack of agreement in doing what the Lord wanted him to do. 
And like anybody who tries to run away from the Lord, Jonah employed escapism. First he tried physical escapism. He got his little old body following his little fast running legs and he went clear to Joppa. And there he bought a one-way ticket to Tarshish, not because he had friends there nor business there, but because that is the destination or was the destination of the first boat that was sailing out of the Joppa Harbor. And what's more, that was as far as he could think he could get from Nineveh. He, he tried to turn his back. The Lord said, go west, and he went east. The Lord said, do this, and he, in disagreement with the Lord, said, I'll do that. And then he tried what we could call psychological escapement. He closed his eyes, he shut his ears, and he went down into the belly of the ship, into his cabin, he pulled his mantle about him, and he went sound asleep. The winds blew, the waves beat, the lightning shouted, and the people on the ship were frightened to death. Every man was represented with a different religion, and they were all praying unto their God for safety. They were praying for their lives, and then down in the tourist department was Joan, sound asleep. He was oblivious to every sound of confusion that was about him. He was oblivious to every cry for help that came from so many different voices. He heard nothing, he saw nothing, and he did nothing because he had a good excuse. His eyes were closed and his ears were deaf. Well, no man can sleep, either physically or psychologically, forever. And when Jonah was suddenly awakened, it was to the realization, the sudden realization, you've had this come upon you, I know, I, I have had it on me, that all this problem, all of this threat to innocent lives, the cause for the big storm upon the sea, all of this was Jonah's fault. He knew it. All of this could have been avoided if Jonah had simply not only known the word of the Lord, but had agreed with it and followed it. But because he had decided to run away from God's will, to disobey and live in rebellion, so much havoc and so much hell was coming upon many innocent lives. So it always happens. And Jonah then tried something new, which every person that has a complex like Jonah sooner or later tries. He was so upset with himself that he possessed and became the owner of a death wish. He thought things had gotten so bad that the solution and the only solution was for him to quit. Quit the human race. Now, he didn't want to die. 
No, no, anybody who has a death wish really doesn't want to die. He just wishes that he could die. You notice Jonah didn't volunteer to jump overboard. No, no. If you throw me over, then the seas will be still and you will be safe. The men on the ship, they were most reluctant in throwing him overboard. But when they tried all the harder to get the ship to shore, and all was to no avail. Reluctantly, yet with strong arms, they threw Jonah overboard. And the sea was still. The storm was over. But Jonah was still alive. And even though he tried to get out of the situation by wishing death upon himself, he did not die. And he was floundering around in the sea, and we don't know how long he was there, but then according to the storyteller, a great fish, maybe a whale, came and swallowed Jonah. Let me add here, far more easily and far more graciously than do the critics of the narrative. And Jonah was there in that abyss, that silence, that stillness, for three days and three nights, 72 hours, he had to be by himself, realizing and reliving what had happened to him because he could not agree in doing what the Lord wanted him to do. But there it was that the word of the Lord eventually, after the whale put him back safe on land, but the word of the Lord came a second time unto Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, tell them they have forty days to repent, and if they do not repent in that time period, their city will be destroyed. Well, Jonah had learned a hard lesson. He found he couldn't run away from the Lord. He found that he couldn't die when he wanted to. He found that it, his disobedience caused many, many, many people much unhappiness and fear and harm. So he decided that he would obey the Lord even though he still disagreed with him. I he'd go to Nineveh. But he had great hopes that he would be unsuccessful. You see, this man really didn't want to see the Ninevites saved nor the city spared. He went, but reluctantly. He went hoping that the Lord was wrong and he was right. And even though he was dressed in the Lord's clothing and went as a prophet of the Almighty, he really hoped his efforts would fail so that he could have the satisfaction that he was right and God was wrong. So he went, stood on the main street of Nineveh, 40 days you have to repent, and if not, your city will be destroyed. The next day went to the same corner, maybe another one, 39 days, 38 days, 15 days, 10 days, always hoping that the people would not listen. But the people did listen. People got all excited. 
the Chamber of Commerce, the civic organizations, even the religious organizations, for the first time they band together and they tried to become repentive religious people. Even the mayor of the city called a fast. The, the, the cattle were dressed in sackcloth and sat in ashes, a, a Hebrew way of expressing regret and sorrow. Uh, not a wheel turned. Business was paralyzed. The police had nothing to do. The jails were empty. It was marvelous. There was a religious revival within that town, and everybody repented. And when the 40th day came, the Lord, because of this repentance, did not destroy Nineveh. And everybody was happy. The Jonah. He was displeased with his success. <laughs> Strange state of affairs. It, the thing that he was sent to do, he had done. But he was disappointed because he had been successful. God was right and he was wrong. And no man likes that. Even when he loses to God. And the book ends, he's out on the hillside overlooking Nineveh. There's a dead gourd hanging above him. The sun is beating down upon his forehead. Strong east wind blowing against the tenderness of his skin. And he's angry. Very, very, very angry. Because He'd been successful in doing what the Lord wanted him to do. That's part of the book of Jonah. I'm sure there are other messages there. But I think there's an important message for us to hear today. The life of our nation, the life of the world. Because I find that there are so many people, including myself at times, so many people, who love God, and we know the word of the Lord, and we love our nation, America, and we really feel, feel that we are sent here for a purpose not to destroy but to build. Yet some of us are not in agreement with the leading and the commands of the Almighty. The church, which is the body of Jesus Christ, speaks. We don't like it. Why do we get involved down here? Lord, why must we do this? We know the word of the Lord. We just disagree with the way that the Lord seems to be leading and commanding and driving. And we get what can be called the Jonah complex. We try to run away. Physically, we may turn our backs, turn whatever is physical, turn our assets and everything away from serving the Lord. Sometimes we try to sleep, bury our heads in the sand, we close our ears and our eyes, 
We see nothing, we hear nothing, and we do nothing. And then suddenly something usually happens in the life of the church or the life of the nation, and suddenly we realize that if we had only spoken sooner or if we had been obedient to that which we didn't agree with, maybe some innocent people would still be living today. People who had died because some people were not obedient in obeying that with which they disagreed. Suddenly we realize that suddenly the condition is all our fault, and we wish we could die. It happens in an office, sometimes it happens in a home, sometimes it happens in a nation, sometimes it happens in the church. Have you ever had the feeling that if you could just die and quit, then maybe everything would be all right? You feel so much involved in the situation of ugliness that you think if you could just die, run away, get away from it all, you'd be all right. The situation would be all right. The only thing wrong with that kind of thinking is the ignorance that we have in refusing to believe that everybody has a Jonah in them. We can't all die, and sometimes even when we wish we could die, we really don't want to die. But sometimes these situations work themselves out, and, and, and we get a second chance. And, and we decide, even though it's very difficult for us to do so, that we will obey even though we disagree. And Yet subconsciously we hope in a way we're going to fail just so that we can prove to the Lord that he is wrong and we are right. But, but we, we do go along and, and we do try and, and we try to be Christian even when we disagree with the particular philosophies as taught by our Lord and Savior. We follow them but we really don't think they're going to work. And yes, we love that person even though we'd like to hate him. But in a way, we hope that our love will fail just so that we can say, uh-huh, see, I told you so. That Jesus teaching is hogwash. That's not the way things really are. And yet we go about our tasks, and we give our money, and we speak our voices, and we shout to the forces of wickedness, hoping that they won't listen so that we can prove that we have been right, but they do listen. And some of them repent. And the day of destruction which was scheduled comes and it goes and there is no destruction and, and people seem happy because there is renewal, there is repentance, there, there is rebirth, everybody's happy. But the people who were hoping that they would be unsuccessful in doing what they felt the Lord would have them to do. As some of us have a Jonah complex, we think the Lord's wrong. And even though we get involved, we kind of hope 
that our involvement will fail. I preach this to you and to me, because suddenly I realize that I, as a Christian, just like you, we are not called to have the complex of Jonah, but we are called to have the complex of Jesus. The Jesus who said, My will, may it be thy. My need is not to come and disagree, but to do the will of the Lord. Our Lord, you see, unlike Jonah, he did not want to die. And he went to the Lord and he told er, to God in prayer and he told God this, but then he ended up, Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. My will is to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, even though maybe at times he wanted to disobey, and maybe at times he disagreed with the wisdom of the Almighty, voluntarily, nevertheless, he went to the cross to die. I guess the world will always be divided, as far as its religious people are concerned, into two groups. Those who know the word of the Lord, but just don't like to accept it and hope that the Lord is wrong, they have the Jonah complex. And then there are those who, no matter what it costs, no matter what, in time, talent, money, in life, even though they may not understand, even though they may disagree, even though they may have doubts, they are obedient and not only know the will of God, but they do it. Our Father and our God, Thou hast placed us in a very difficult time in the life of church, nation, personal involvement. Help us not just to look like thee, but help us to have the complexion of Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be in abide with all of you, now and while we're separated one from another, until we meet again, either on this side or the other side.